I'm never lost. Never lost. Never lost, but never found. This is where I'll die. This is where I'm always going to live. I love it here. It's never too far. It's never too close. It's where you want to make it. Home is, has, a, has a new meaning in the last three years. I can, I can open up, I can cry, I can laugh. The place you decide to kind of protect and cherish. Home is what you make it, and we make a happy home, and that's what we do. Watch TV naked, cook naked, you know, just be naked emotionally and physically, wherever you can be naked. <laughs> Family makes a home, it's, it's not just a house. I think that home can be like anywhere. Like for a person, it doesn't have to be necessarily a place. Anywhere I'm at is home. Red Rocks Church, how are we doing this weekend? Good? I love it. I want to do this right away. I want to welcome everyone at our Lakewood and Littleton and Arvada and Evergreen campuses. Of course, our campus across the pond in Brussels, Belgium. We love you all. And let's do this at all of our campuses. Would you guys go absolutely crazy for all the men and women at our God Behind Bars campuses? We love you guys so much. So much. And then most importantly this weekend, uh, I just, just humor me for a minute at all campuses again. If you're visiting with us for the first or maybe even the second time, I'm going to have you in a second raise your hand. Now, I promise we're not going to stalk you. We're not going to email you. We're not going to ask anything from you. All we want to do is we kind of threw a party this weekend to finish this series, but we threw it in your honor. We wanted you to come here and we wanted you to feel at home and we wanted you to feel love and we wanted you to come to a place that we pray at all of our campuses would be a haven of hope and a haven of peace. And some of you, you walked in for the first time and you couldn't need peace and hope more. So would you just honor us by raising your hand if you're a first time guest at every one of our campuses and then can we just go crazy for them? Keep them up, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep them up, thank you. Love it, thank you at all campuses. We love you guys, come on, let's go, come on. Come on, yes. I'm giddy, man. This is, this is why we do church for 12 years now. For whatever reason, God has saw fit to continually bring more and more people through our church doors, and we want to steward that as good as possible. And so if you're visiting, I'm going to keep bringing you up throughout the message because I kind of wrote a message with you in mind, okay? And I want to let you know what Red Rocks Church is all about. And one of the things I'm about to do before I give this message is I'm going to pray to God in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? And the reason I'm going to do that, and church, I don't want us to forget why I do that, is because you don't need to hear from Chad. Chad's jacked up. If you go here for very long, you will quickly realize that, both publicly and privately. Sean and I don't lie about our stuff, right? We're broke. I bleed as red as any of you in here. I know pastors, we're, we're to live above reproach, and we are working hard to live holy lives, but I just come up here as a middleman at best. You don't need a message from me, right? You need a message from God himself in the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just gladly submit my heart to you right now. And I gladly, in front of all my church family and friends, let you know publicly how desperately I want you to speak through me, how much I want every single person at every campus to walk out of these doors whole and healthy, healed, Holy Spirit. I can't do that. 
but you can and you do it every week. Story after story, person after person, life after life, we continue to hear about all you're doing, God. I ask that this weekend, yet again, you would grace us with not only your presence, but with your power, your power to change, your power to save, your power to restore back to people what this world and what the enemy of this world has tried to take from them. God, I pray in these next few minutes that anybody at any campus that does not have a relationship with you, Jesus, that would change by the time they walk out. God, make that happen. God, we know it's your heart to make that happen. We know it's your will that none should perish. So in these next few minutes, God, would you do something powerful? And if you agree with that, would you just say amen? Amen. Amen. In uh, the late 80s, there's a sociologist professor in Philadelphia. He's also moonlights as a pastor and a preacher. People have him come into churches all the time. His name's Tony Campolo. And he was telling a story in 1990 about something that happened to him a few years before that in Honolulu, Hawaii. He was suffering for Jesus, going to preach in Honolulu, Hawaii. And I think there's about a six-hour time difference between uh, Philadelphia and Honolulu. And so he said he was in his hotel wide awake at 3.30 in the morning because he was raised like 9.30 for him. He was ready for some breakfast. And so he got up and he went out at 3.30 in the morning onto the streets of Honolulu. And he said it wasn't a pretty sight. It was kind of scary. And nothing was open except one little diner. And he said this diner, and I'm using my terms, was janky. It was gross. It was scary, right? 3.30 in the morning. And so he walks in, and he orders a donut. One of the reasons I love Tony Campolo, he ordered a donut. Man after my own heart, right? He orders a donut and a cup of coffee. And he says hello to the guy who's working, and it happened to be the owner. And the guy's name was Harry And then he went down, and he sat, and he started eating his donut and drinking his cup of coffee. And all of a sudden... In loud fashion or boisterous, he said, fashion, about eight or nine or ten women came in and they were loud and they were ornery. And he said they were speaking in very crude terminology. He said he almost got up and left. And right before he was getting ready to cut his breakfast short and get up and leave because of the people that had walked in the door, he heard a conversation. And all of these women that were in there happened to be prostitutes. And there was a conversation between one unnamed lady and one lady he would find out was named Agnes. And Agnes spoke up and said to her, hey, guess what? Tomorrow night I turn 39. It's my 39th birthday. And her friend, I guess, looked at her and said, so? What's your point, Agnes? What do you want me to do? Get your birthday cake? What do you want us to sing a happy birthday? And he was overhearing this and he said, all of a sudden, Agnes's demeanor changed. She went from talking tough to talking sad. And he said this, Agnes looked at her and goes, no. I don't expect anything from you. I've never had a birthday cake in my whole life. I've never had anyone sing happy birthday for me. And all of a sudden he started to get an idea and eventually the ladies left and he stuck around. And after they left, he went up to Harry, the owner, and he said, hey, Harry, uh, those girls come in often? He goes, every night, like clockwork. He goes, do you, know, do you know those ladies? He goes, I know them all by name. He goes, he goes do you know the one that that? And he says, yeah, that's Agnes. He goes, it's Agnes's 39th birthday tomorrow. And what do you say we throw a birthday party? And Harry goes, that's actually an awesome idea. Let's do it. And so Dr. Campolo said this. He said, all right, tomorrow I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to buy a bunch of streamers and I'm going to buy balloons and I'm going to get some stuff to make some signs that are going to say happy 39th birthday, Agnes. And then I'm going to buy her a cake and then we're going to meet back here a little bit earlier before they get here and I'm going to set it all up. And Harry looked at him and said, no, 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 I'm getting the cake though. I'm the chef around here. I'll make the cake. You get everything else. He said, deal. And then you fast forward 
24 hours and he showed back up and he tells this story where he said he had made the room from wall to wall with streamers and balloons and signs and they had a huge birthday cake and he uh, apparently Harry's wife knew all of the ladies of the night if you will the prostitutes and so word got out and so he said at 3.30 in the morning I'm sitting in this diner and wall to wall it's me the sociologist slash pastor Harry and a room full of prostitutes. He said, and then all of a sudden, Agnes and her friend walked in and everybody in unison started to sing happy birthday to her. And he said she was so flabbergasted, she was so floored that her friend had to walk her over to one of the stools so she could sit down because she caught, it caught her so off guard, as you can imagine. Never before had anyone ever sang happy birthday to her. Definitely never before had anyone ever given her a birthday cake. And he said, right as we're starting to end the song, you just start as you would expect. You started to see tears well up in her eyes. He said, then the song was over and it started to get awkward because with tears in her eyes, she was just staring down at the cake. And so he said, Harry broke the silence and was like, Agnes, blow out your candles and I'll cut the cake. Come on, blow out the candles. And she wasn't blowing out the candles. And he goes, you want me to blow out the candles for you? And she said, sure. And they got ready to cut the cake. And she says, wait a minute. He said she was really timid and she was really embarrassed. But she said, could I just look at it a little bit longer? He goes, it's your birthday. Because you do whatever you want with it. We don't even have to eat. He goes, you can take it home. She goes, actually, would you mind? She goes, I promise I'll come right back. I really want to celebrate with you guys. She goes, but I just live a couple doors down and there's some people that I want to go show this cake to. Dr. Campolo said that he never saw her again when she walked out and he said there was this room, quiet room full of prostitutes and nobody knew what to do. And so he said, I broke the silence by saying, hey, girls, what do you say we pray for Agnes? They're like, huh? and he started praying. He said, for her heart. He started praying for her, I think, to get out of the profession that all of them were in. And he said, I started to pray for her salvation. He said, after I did that, eventually all the women finally left and Harry looked at me and said, hey, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. He goes, what kind of church you go to anyways? And Tony Campolo said it was like the Holy Spirit gave him those words right in that moment and he looked at Harry and he said, I go to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. yeah. And Harry goes, no, you don't. He goes, there's no church like that, right? And, and Harry said this, he goes, because if there was a church like that, I'd go to it. And then Dr. Campola writes this when he's done telling the story. He says, wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all love to join a church that throws birthday parties for hookers at 3.30 in the morning? He says, well, that's the kind of church that Jesus came to create. I don't know where we got the other ones that are so prim and so proper, but everybody who reads the New Testament, he says, will discover a Jesus who loved to party with hookers and with all kinds of left out people. The publicans... The sinners loved Jesus because he partied with them. He ate with them. He sat with them. The lepers of society found in Jesus someone who would eat and drink with them proudly. While the solemnly pious people could not relate to what he was about. Those lonely people who usually didn't get invited to parties. We all know those people. Some of you might feel like those people. He says Jesus took to those people with excitement. And Red Rocks Church, some of you brought visitors here. And I want to do you the honor because you were kind enough to invite visitors here to tell 
and remind our church who we, all, who we are while you brought visitors here. I, this is one of our core values. If you're visiting with us at all of our campuses, please hear this. And we're not getting this thing perfect. We're works in progress. We're trying to get a little better at this every year, but this is one of our core values, and it is simply this. We are here to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Okay, you understand that? The kingdom of God in its current state is a hospital for sinners, okay? It is not a museum for saints. Someday when the fullness comes and Jesus comes again, there's gonna be no more need for healing and wholeness and redemption and health because we're going to perfectly live in it forever. But right now the church exists to be a hospital for sinners. And some of you might go, well, where do you get that core value? It's a nice phrase. Well, I wanna read Matthew chapter nine. It says this, passing along, Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. Jesus said this, come along with me, Matthew. And Matthew stood up and followed him. Now, here's why that's extremely interesting. For those of you new to church, let me give you some historical backdrop so you sit under the power of what's happening here. Matthew was a Jewish man who was a tax collector to the Jews for Rome. Okay, Rome was not only ruling Jews in Jerusalem at the time, but Rome was oppressing them at the time. So most of Matthew's brothers, sisters, friends, family members, people of his own descent were being brought down and persecuted and oppressed by Rome. And now Matthew signed up to take the job where not only does he take the taxes, the legal rightful taxes from Rome, but then Rome would be in cahoots with the tax collectors and say, anything else you want to skim off the top? Anything else you want to extort from your people, go ahead. But this is how much we require. And so the tax collectors that were Jews were actually some of the wealthiest people in their very impoverished culture at the time. So when this rabbi named Jesus, who we now know is the Messiah, he's God in flesh, he's literally sinless and perfect. Of all the people you think Jesus would avoid, it would be a scoundrel like Matthew. On the totem pole, on the caste system of Judaism, and in this ancient culture 2,000 years ago, nobody was more despised than tax collectors. That's why repeatedly in the gospel, when we're reading about who Jesus spent time with and talked with, they would say the sinners and then the tax collectors. They got their whole own category, right? That's how bad it was. This is Matthew. And in one passing moment, Jesus just looks at him. How powerful does someone have to be? in their presence, to just walk by and look at someone who the rest of this rabbi's culture calls a scoundrel. And he says, hey, I see something in you. Come and follow me. And then Matthew does what so many of us have wanted to do, and some of you have done at your job before. You just get up and leave, right? I've done it. (laughs) Something in Matthew's heart was so liberated, he just left the tax booth on the shore. And he started to follow Jesus. And I love this because everyone, in fact, we're about to read it, all the religious people that were watching Jesus and making their judgments about Jesus from a distance, all of them would have freaked out. Like, you can't hang out with a tax collector rabbi. You legally can't. That will make you ceremonially unclean. We don't hang out with those type of thugs, those type of punks. They have betrayed us. Why would you, a holy person in our nation, in our country, with our bloodline, why would you endorse him and say, come and follow me? He doesn't get to, but, but here's why, and I want you to understand this, especially if you come in here and maybe you have some Jesus or some church baggage, unfortunately, that you were given maybe as a child. 
Maybe some of you are visiting for the first time and you haven't been in church in a long time and you have so many misconceptions about who God really is. Let me say this. The reason Jesus could so effortlessly and easily look at Matthew and go, hey man, come and follow me is because God has an ability to do something that we humans are horrible at. And it's this. God is deeply interested in people's backstories. Well, we are deeply interested in people's behavior. Is that not true? Come on, let's have an honest moment. We're in church. God's here. Let's be real. We are so immersed in making judgments, not only about ourselves, but everybody in our communities based on what? Their behavior. Like this is the worldly caste system as we look at our behavior and we make judgments about how good or not good we are based on how other people around us are behaving. But God has this capacity for this word that we don't get good enough called empathy that we can't even begin to imagine. God is the God of empathy. And here's what I mean. God knows that Matthew has a backstory. God knows that Agnes in Honolulu has a backstory. Here's what I mean. Matthew didn't, as a little kid, playing with all his friends and family members and kids at school, he didn't dream of the day that he would extort from them and be a fraud and be an outcast in his society. Agnes did not, as a precious little girl, dream of the day she would sell her body away to men to be abused in Hawaii. There's a backstory. At some point, we don't know Agnes's and we don't know Matthew's, but you know who does? Jesus. At some point in Matthew's life, he bought into a lie that at all costs, he had to do everything he could, even ruin relationships and hurt people to make sure he had everything the world tells you you need to have to be happy. At some point in Agnes's life in Honolulu, she bought into some lie that in order to make it or to feel worth, she had to give herself away. She had to sell herself away, her precious body. She just had to start giving to men. There was a backstory though. And listen to me, God is completely committed and interested in people's backstories, not their behavior. Because what Jesus knows is what we so often forget, church, and we can't forget, is if someone will just follow him long enough, he's going to get to the wounds where those backstories begin in all of our lives. And anytime he gets to those wounds, eventually here's what's going to happen. Healing, wholeness, restoration, redemption. So while all of the religious people are freaking out that he would ask a thug and a fraud like Matthew to follow him, Jesus knows exactly what's happening. He's like, if he sits and if he hangs with me long enough, if we do enough dinners together, eventually he might just write a historical account of me that a few people might read for a few thousand years after he's dead. That's the power of Jesus when he's committed to your backstory. Some of you at all of our campuses, you walk in and your backstory has eventually evolved into so much dysfunctional behavior and you find yourself up against the wall. Maybe you walked into our church and you don't know what to do next. You're desperate. You're hurting. All dignity from you maybe has been stripped because of maybe decisions you made or maybe because of decisions that people have made that have hurt you. And life has handed it to you. And Jesus, with such effortlessness and calm, Because he knows the fullness of your story like nobody else knows, he just looks at you and says, I know. I know why you did that. I'm not happy that you committed adultery on your spouse, but I know what broke you to get you in that mindset to eventually get you to that behavior. And while all of the world is going to judge you, and while, yes, this world is going to give you some consequences for that action, 
I'm just here to give you healing and hope. So he says, hey, Matthew, come and follow me. Listen to what they do later that night. I love Jesus. Later when Jesus was what? Eating supper at the fraud's house. You want to talk about a rabbinical no-no. This is as unorthodox as it gets, but that is the God we serve and the gospel we preach. Later when Jesus was eating at Matthew's house with his close followers, listen, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. I love Jesus. When the Pharisees, now this is the religious people, the power players, the guys that were professional at behaving good, okay? When they saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and they didn't light into Jesus. You know who they lit into? Because they're cowards, Jesus' followers. That's another sermon for another day. They didn't have the guts to look Jesus in the face. They'd already lost enough battles with him, right? So they lit into Jesus' followers and they said, what kind of example is this from your teacher? Acting cozy with crooks and riffraff. And I love this next part. Jesus overhearing because he hears everything because he created hearing. (laughs) He's the God of ears, okay? I picture him reclining at the table. They just had a couple apps. A drink. And he looks back and goes, hey, who needs a doctor? The healthier the sick. And they're like, oh, no, he heard us. The sick need a doctor? He's like, yeah, that's why I'm here. I'm the doctor. I'm the great physician. I have something that can heal these people. Remember, we're in the business of healing people, not judging them and hurting them. He says, go and figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. Red Rocks, I want us to read that again because we are a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. He says, I desire mercy, Not rules and regs, not religion, not systems. The the highest form of piety, listen to me, Red Rocks Church, and all of the visitors that you brought, the highest form of piety, according to our creator, is not how well you behave, it's how well you receive. It's what you can do with this otherworldly gift known as grace and known as mercy. Listen, mercy is not a get out of jail free card. Mercy is medicine. It's what heals. It's what makes people whole. Grace is not this this thing that, that, that gets us off the hook. Grace is something that gets so deeply embedded in who you are that it actually makes you whole and healthy. Listen, I've been taking grace as my medicine for the last 20 years, and believe it or not, as jacked up as I am, I am becoming more whole every year. I'm becoming uh, more um, healed every year from my brokenness. When God's grace intersected with Chad's backstory that back in the day 20 years ago was causing me to make so many destructive decisions like the prodigal son that we've been studying all weekend. When his grace collided with my backstory, there was healing. Come on, that's all of our story. How quickly after we've been healed for a while and have a few spiritual notches on our belt in the church world, do we forget that there's the same people like us out there that need our love, not our judgment, not our condemnation. They need mercy. Mercy's God's medicine. Here's what rules and regulations ultimately are. They're diagnostic. If we're talking hospital terms, they're x-rays. Every law God gave was gracious and good. It was to help people. Don't get me wrong. Rules from God are always good. They're not to hurt the party. They're to make the party better. Anytime God gives you a boundary, it's to enhance life, not take away from it. So there's the one balancing statement I'm gonna give the whole weekend. 
But listen to me, the ultimate, and the New Testament tells us this about the Old Testament, the ultimate purpose of the law, the Torah, rules and regulations, was not to get people acting better. It was to show people that apart from mercy, they're toast. That there is nothing that can heal. There's nothing, there's no amount of behavior modification you can do or perform in your own strength to get healed and whole, to be well again. Listen, so, so here's, what, here, here's, what, here's what the law is. It's an x-ray. It's a, a law is to be held up as a picture to go, look, see your heart right there? There's a little fracture there. That needs to be fixed. See your emotions? See where they're going in such a dark direction? Yeah, there's, there's some cancer there. We need to take that out. See your jacked up thinking right there? See this, this, this horrible thought pattern that's caused you to do so many destructive things? Yeah, that's a tumor that's causing it. We gotta get that out. Listen to me. The law is an x-ray. It's diagnostic. Mercy is medicine. And there is no other treatment plan. You can't behave good enough to become whole. You can't jump through enough hoops. You can't do enough things to make God proud of you. It's his grace and his mercy and the fact that he spoke you into existence and that you bear his image that he is already proud enough so he can easily come here in the midst of our rebellion like people like Matthew and Agnes and Chad and say, hey, follow me. Let's go. Come on. I'll get you healed. I got what you need. I got the medicine's mercy. And then he goes on and he finishes by saying this. Again, Red Rocks, let's hear this. He says, I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. The ultimate purpose of our church is not for us to be here long enough to get what we think we deserve. The ultimate purpose of the church is to come and meet and be encouraged and mobilized to go out and show people what medicine looks like, to show people mercy, to show people grace, because that is the only thing that will ever heal anyone. So I want to do this. Let's clap. Come on. That's good news. So I just want to quickly, I want to revisit one more time as we end this series, because most of you who are visiting, you didn't hear this series. Some of you for the first time will be hearing this story. A lot of you visiting, even if you haven't been in church in years, you're familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. Here's how it goes. Jesus told this story. There was a man, he represents God. If you're new to church, I want you to understand this. Jesus is teaching us about what our unseen God, who is a spirit, looks like and what he acts like and what he thinks about us and how he handles situations and how he deals with human rebellion. So this man had two sons and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. It goes on to say, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. Let me stop right there. When Jesus was telling this, this story, this made up story, to prove a very real point to a very large Jewish audience, when it said that the son was now because of a famine having to sell him out, self out to a citizen of another country and work with pigs, that's as bad as it got in that culture. That's as low as you could get. That was as unkosher of a job as you could possibly have to try and redeem yourself and restore some dignity to yourself was to go and work with pigs. Jesus is putting out all the stops for this story. He's trying to make it as intense as possible so that when the sun returns and we see God's response, people are like, no way. 
You can't come home smelling like pig and that, get that kind of greeting. And God says, no, no, no. Any human being can smell like anything. And when they come home to me, they're going to get the greeting we're about to read about. When he came to his senses, the son said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He says, I will set out and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. Now you guys, now, now we got to really listen to what's said next because this is Jesus trying to show these people the heart of their God, Yahweh, to this Jewish audience and to us 2,000 years later. Well, the kid, the rebel, the young punk who thought he could live life better away from his father than with his father, who used his father to go and rebel against his father. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Now stop right there before we read the rest. If I'm the dad, I stand at the porch with my arms crossed and I talk smack the whole way he's coming home during his walk of shame. <laughs> Told you so. Thought you could do life better than your old man. Got a timeout waiting for you. Got some work in the backfield. I think I'm going to throw a party tonight. I think I'm going to crack open some Merlot, get a ribeye going, get a DJ playing. We're going to have a party and you're not invited. Because if you're going to come back to this house, this isn't going to happen again. So you go to your room or in fact, you go back to the room with the rest of the slaves, right? That's what I That's what we think as parents is like. We got to teach, you know, we got to instill in them for whatever reason. Jesus goes, this isn't God's response to human rebellion. Here's God's response to human rebellion. Again, this isn't Chad's take. I'm just reading it. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and here's God's heart. You ready for this? Some of you, you may come in here and you say, I am that rebel. Here's God's heart for you. He, he filled with compassion for him, not condemnation. That's what probably I as a father who had been betrayed by my son. When my son said, I don't like your house, dad. Give me my money and I'm gonna go out. I said, okay, you're getting some condemnation coming home. I'll bring you back because I'm still your dad. Not our God. No, no, no. He's filled with compassion for him. Why? Because God is deeply interested in this kid's backstory, not his behavior. We're all the ones that get freaked out about that. God loves his backstory. He has compassion for him. Now listen to this. This is where it gets scandalous in the Jewish culture, and we're going to talk about it. So he runs to his son. He throws his arms around him and kisses him. And here's why that's scandalous. Sean talked about it about three weeks ago. But if you're visiting with us, back in that culture, men didn't run. The older you got, the less you ran. And here's why. Everyone, men and women alike, wore robes back then. And they weren't into showing leg. I know times have changed, but they didn't show leg back then. And for a man to run, he would have had to have pulled up his robe. And it would have been completely for a man, especially a man with an estate. It would have been completely undignified for his father to run towards him. And yet for the father, it's not even an option. Well, this rebel's still a long way off. He pulls up his robe and he sprints to his son and he throws his arms around him and he gives him a kiss and a hug. And can I just tell you, if, if you've been sold a bill of goods about religion or maybe you've been told some things about Jesus or God that aren't true, can I tell you, here's how beautiful the gospel is that we come here every week to celebrate. Our God, the one who holds the stars in his hands, the one who speaks galaxies into existence, the same God that tells the ocean where to start and where to stop, 
The same God that owns every cattle, the Bible says, on a thousand hills. The same God that spoke you and me into existence and could take us out in one spoken word is the same God that will choose to become as undignified as he possibly has to to restore dignity back to his kids. That's the God we serve. Anything... Anything you've heard that's remotely different from that, listen to me, it's just not true. We serve a God who will become as undignified as he has to become to restore your dignity back. And the Bible makes it very clear why. There's one motive. It's real simple. He just loves you unconditionally and passionately. That's it. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less, Red Rocks Church. And if you go, well, I don't know, that doesn't sound right. He's deity, we're humans. Why would, why would a God lower himself to do that for a bunch of rebels like us? Look at the cross. What's more indignified than a sinless human being who has done nothing to bring guilt upon himself, getting beat and stripped naked and mocked and maimed and a crown of thorns put on his head and ultimately by some thug Roman centurion soldiers, nine-inch nails being pierced through his hands and through his feet, drugged through the city, being laughed at. He doesn't fight back. He doesn't call down angels. He doesn't do some grand miracle to show him he's still in charge. He quietly, like a lamb before the slaughter, is silent. He just sits there and takes it. And why? To restore dignity back to you and me. 2 Corinthians 5 puts it really simple and beautiful. He, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for you and me. Here's why. That we could become the righteousness of God. That we could be reinstated into the house when we least deserve it, when we're least worthy of it, on our absolute most rebellious and worst day, he became sin for us so that we could be the righteous. Let me put it this way. He who was perfectly dignified his whole life became fully undignified so that we who are fully undignified could be perfectly redignified. That's the gospel. That is how awesome Jesus is. That's how much he loves you. And on this kid's worst day when he's coming home, taking the supposed walk of shame, do you know what the father's final response is to him? It's the whole reason we did this week, a party. For the son, in the son's name. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, banned at all campuses. You guys can come out. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, which honestly, all that's true. All that's true. But the father said to his servants, he didn't even hear the son try and say sorry. He's just so excited he's home. And the same is for you. This is Jesus going, this is the God you serve on your worst day. He's not even trying to hear your rap sheet. He knows your rap sheet. He knows your backstory. He knows your behavior. You don't need to waste time with that. He doesn't even hear it. He just says, quick, bring the best robe, not a robe. Again, if I'm the dad, bring a robe. He's like, no, quick, bring the best robe. He's lost his dignity. He came home naked. My son doesn't come home naked and dirty. Quick, get the best robe. We're going to restore dignity back to him. We have been given, the New Testament says, in Christ, a robe of righteousness. 
God covers you, Red Rocks Church. If you're visiting, listen to me. You're, you're a faith-filled sentiment away from the creator of the universe going, I don't care how undignified you feel about your story and about your life. I am going to wrap my arms and I'm gonna put my robe of righteousness around you so you can walk into the party whole and healthy with your head held high, even in the midst of your rebellion. He says, put a robe, the best robe on him. Put a ring on his finger. That's, that's a symbol of the family crest in that culture. When you put the ring on his finger, that was the family crest. So when he walked into that party, he could go, I'm with my dad. I know you all know my behavior. I know you all are judging my behavior. I know you all stayed when I left and rebelled and you've been good workers and you've been awesome. But all I can, all I can say to you is this, I, I'm, I'm his. And he chose to put his name back on me. So can we just party? Right? That's what he says. He says, put a ring on his finger. Get him some sandals. Again, he's restoring dignity when dignity was completely lost. He says this. This is my language now. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. <laughs> okay. Steak. He cooked steak for a rebel. He got meat and Merlot and music. He should have got green beans and prune juice and a PBS binge-watching session. That's what he should have got. That's what he deserved. Who is this father, right? I read that and I go, who is this God? Could this really be true? Because in my natural senses, even now as I'm up here, I'm going, that's too good to be true. All I'm saying is Jesus told this story, not me. I'm not exaggerating. Jesus told this story. He said, let's have a feast and celebrate. Let's party for this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and, he was a, and he's found. And so they did what? They began to celebrate. And that's why we wanted to finish this series this way. We wanted to, number one, more than anything, invite people to Jesus, invite people home. Give any of you in any of our campuses that have never received this unconditional, unthinkable, intellectually offensive, radical love of God, we want to give you an opportunity to come home, to join the party, man. We're not here to judge your behavior. We're here to get to know your backstory. Jesus will heal your behavior. You walk with him long enough. You party with him long enough. You eat and sit with Jesus long enough. Listen, he'll make you whole. We don't as a church have the ability to do that, but we can tell you about the one who does. And so right before, I'm gonna ask everyone at all of our campuses that don't know Jesus to accept the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But there's a song that I've had on repeat for several weeks now, and it's breaking me down, man. And the more I've played it over and over, the more I'm like, man, this is my story. Like, I'm not good at writing, but if I could write a song, I'm like, I would write this song to Jesus for what he's done for me for 20 straight years. And then I thought about it. I'm like, if, if the day after this party we just read about took place and that son happened to be a talented songwriter, the song we're about to sing together, I promise you would be the one he'd write. A bunch of you, it's newer. A bunch of you, you won't know it. A bunch of you are going to sing it horrible. Sing anyways. I'm going to sing horrible. Sing anyways. It's beautiful to your father. I want some people that don't know Jesus yet. Once you start to hear some words, in fact, I'm gonna do this at every campus, stay seated until you hear a line that resonates with your testimony. And when you hear a line where you go, that's my story, I want you to stand up and I want you to start worshiping. Would you do that? At every campus, stay seated. 
And then when you hear a line in this beautiful song, they should have called it the prodigal. It's called the reckless love of God. They should have called it the prodigal. And when you who have a testimony where Jesus found you, I want people that don't know that yet, I want them to see this happen. When you see the line that most resonates with your story, would you do that? Would you stand up when we just continue to worship? This is called the reckless love of God.
stay standing at all of our campuses. This is why right now we ultimately do church. There's a whole bunch of reasons to do church. Trust me. This is the ultimate reason is to throw parties for people when they least deserve it, knowing they can't earn it. And a bunch of you already know that you've already received that you're constantly receiving that day after day. I'm one of you, but there's a bunch of people at all of our campuses. And this is the first, and this is the last time that it's ever going to be talked about with God because he wants at the height of whatever rebellion you may have walked in here with, whatever lack of dignity that you're feeling about your life that's causing you to make unhealthy decisions, whatever lie you may have bought into that tells you that anything other than the love of God is what you need in this life to be happy or fulfilled. Listen to me, no material thing will fulfill you apart from the father who created the material world. And man, someone offered me this 20 years ago and I'm just even having flashbacks of when I was in a church much like this and I walked, this was old school, man. They made you, I'm not gonna make you do this. They made you walk down to the front, man. They made you take the walk. We called them altar calls because you came down to the altar for your life to be altered and all the other cliche things. And I remember making that walk. I was a 23 year old punk at the height of my rebellion, man. 
the night before, I remember I was at my ex-girlfriend's sorority house and I had just done multiple lines of cocaine and I'd popped some ecstasy earlier that night. And normally what I would do on a night like this after a party like that is I would go home and I would go Colorado, even though I lived in Missouri. And in order to fall asleep from all of the uppers, I would smoke some weed so I could fall asleep. And that night I couldn't fall asleep and I didn't smoke any weed. And I just sat in my recliner in the house that I rented as a 23 year old punk rebel high kid. And I stayed up all night and I literally was like, man, I'm living with pigs right now. I have everything the world tells you you need to have to be happy. And I'm miserable. I have incredible family, incredible parents. I had a, I drove a BMW, which is hilarious because I was a shoe store worker. I put all my money into looking good. I couldn't afford that, right? I still, it's silly. And I'm sitting there and I'm having this moment of like, my parents are so less cool than me and so happier than me. And for my whole life, I watched them love Jesus. And I said, you know what, tomorrow I'm walking into a church, still probably a bit high, who cares? Who cares what people think? God's there, he's gonna meet me, he's gonna run to me. And that's exactly what he did that day. And for 20 straight years, I've walked through troubles, I've walked through suffering, I've walked through very hard times, and I've had Jesus on my side the whole time. And I am far from perfect, but I am whole, and I am healthy, and I stand up here with dignity, and I don't deserve it, and I didn't earn it, but I got it because Jesus came and said, man, I know your backstory, dude. I'm not focused on your behavior. Just start following me, and you'll get healthy and whole, but you gotta follow. So at all of our campuses right now, if you want to follow Jesus, let me just tell you a few simple things that we believe about Jesus. Number one, we believe that every human being on planet earth has this blood disease called sin. It's cancerous. And the only doctor is Jesus. And the church is the hospital where he does some of his most precious work. And you came into that. The Bible says all of us have sinned. You're in good company in this room. Whatever campus you're at, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the good news. We are justified, ready for this? Freely, freely by the grace of redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. Romans 6 says that the wages of sin, which we're all sinners, is death. That's bad news. But the Bible tells us Jesus, when he rose again, conquered death. So that if by faith we would receive this medicine called mercy and give God our sin, he'll take that transaction. Trans, uh, transaction. He will throw our sin as far as the east, the Bible says, meets the west. He will throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. Some people might make you pay for your mistakes. You ready for good news? Jesus, this man, Jesus, will not make you pay for your mistakes. He forgets them. We don't, he does. So don't put your hope in people. Put your hope in Jesus. If you want, the Bible says, if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is this man that I just got through talking about, if you call out to him right now and say, forgive me of my sins, come into my heart, do you know what? Done deal. And the Bible says he not only comes into your heart, he fills you with his spirit. So you start walking, thinking, acting, talking like him. And over time, it is a beautiful thing. You start to welcome wholeness. Dignity starts to get restored. Healing starts to take place emotionally, physically, spiritually, intellectually. It's a beautiful thing. If you want that right now, would you proudly put up your hand at all of our campuses? We want to celebrate with you. Keep them up. It's the best decision of your life, man. Best decision of your life. Best decision of your life. Keep them up. Best decision of your life. Best decision of your life. 
Best decision, ma'am, of your life. Best decision of your life. Yes. Yes. This is why we do what we about what we do. Now, again, I'm going to do this. We, we want to go out swinging. That's my theme at home with my kids. Finish strong, baby. We want to go out swinging. So now we're going to play a song you're all familiar with. And can we just do this before we go out and at, at all of your campuses? I don't even know. We got, did we have a strobe light in here earlier? I almost had a stroke backstage waiting to come on here. I was like, right? We're going we're gonna to proudly let those things go. You're going to go out at all your campuses. There's going to be food. There's going to be fun. Stick around as long as you want. We would love to party with you. If you're visiting, we would love to shake hands and get to know your name. You guys ready to go out swinging and singing this song? Let's do it.
good and we love you guys so much man this has been such a good day um if you guys need any extra prayer today we've got an awesome prayer team over here otherwise man we have hope you have a great week um let's party we'll see you back next weekend